0: Now, as we've been going through, looking at meeting the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we, we spent a chunk of time talking about um, talking about the Spirit and the flesh, which is good, which is, which is good, because it it's an important dichotomy, but now we kind of need to get to, and, and, and what does that mean for everyday life? What does that mean for the, for the, for the general Christian where the rubber hits the road? So, um, <laughs> I thought the clicker was working. This is where things start to get really interesting. Um, Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come and empower them. What what does that mean exactly? I mean, we've all heard, you know, the beginning of Acts, Jesus says, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and comes in power. Yeah.
1: Well, Uh, for an example, if you look at Peter, um, before the crucifixion and denying Christ and not knowing what's going on, and then being empowered by the Holy Spirit and preaching
0: and saving 3,000 people and, uh, and being empowered. Absolutely. So you get Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. speaking at a, with with, with, a, with a dynamism, but also with a, a direction that he wouldn't have necessarily had before that. What else do you think of when you think of the Spirit coming in power and empowering the church? All
2: right, so are your movie buff.
3: I just want to, the one thing that really bugs me is, like, in books, movies, and stuff, and stories, like, because I do believe in demonic, demonic Demon. spirits, yes, spirits. That You know, I always feel like if you use scripture and if you use the power, that they can't overcome you. And it always seems like people that are supposedly Christians and stuff don't use that.
0: Yeah. At the, at the very least, at the very least, um... The idea of trying to do spiritual warfare without, without the backing of Scripture, without, without the, the authority of the name of Christ, um, you're, you're at least going unarmed into battle. You're taking you're taking fists to a gunfight, and and that's it's not going to end well with that. I mean, we know that that there were um, exorcists in the in the Book of Acts who tried to use the name of Jesus, and the demons are like, I know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You just, you're just you just using the name like it's an incantation. I think the key thing, and I don't want to get lost in this, but I think the key thing is is that most movies, TV shows, books, etc., still think of, of, even demonic stuff, think of, of spiritual warfare as a magic thing. It's it's dueling magic, and I need to have an incantation that stops this evil magic. And, and they don't realize it has nothing to do with magic. It has to do with spiritual authority. And Christ has given us that authority... And that authority we see in Job, we see in Revelation, we see all over the place, is bigger than Satan's authority. And and, and so, yeah, it's not a matter of dueling incantations. It's a matter of, well, who's got authority? Yeah. So uh, the Holy Spirit empowering us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, yeah, I mean, we have Christ's spirit in us. That gives us that kind of authority. What else? I mean, there's, a, there's an obvious one in Acts 2, if anybody wants to jump to that one. There's a healing. Oh. Pardon? Healing driving out even
1: things
0: like that. Okay. Yeah. they speaking in tongues and flames of fire over their heads and, and things like that. <clears throat> There's all sorts of sign gifts and things. Okay. Funky little teaching moment before we get too far in this. Um super quick review, just so that we're on the same page. So we've looked at how the Holy Spirit was active in people's everyday lives, right? Even long before we get to Pentecost. We get that all throughout the Old Testament and in the uh, life and ministry of Christ. Can anybody remind us of how the Holy Spirit was active before we ever got to Pentecost? Anything. Yeah. Um, in the desert
1: making
0: the tabernacle he gave gifts of uh, Christ him. Yeah. I mean yeah, we have the weirdest spiritual gifts of yeah. you know, how to do stuff in the in the workshop. We got this, the, the spiritual leading of here's the design for the temple came from the Spirit. Um, anything else like from the life of Christ that we saw in terms of the Holy Spirit or the ministry? Well, he gave
1: the disciples power when they went out by twos and
0: threes. Absolutely. And new, uh, he, Christ he breathed on them and Spirit. received the Holy Spirit. God just speaking when he got baptized. Yep. The, the Spirit descending on him. Um, arguably in the birth of Christ. How did Mary get pregnant? What were we told? Birth birth by the Spirit. By the Spirit. So yeah, we see a lot of movement with the Holy Spirit long before we ever get to flaming tongues of fire sort of things. We also looked at how things changed at Pentecost with the Spirit's infilling, but also his ongoing indwelling, leading, active, empowering. What's the distinction between those that we talked about? There's people being... Filled with the Holy Spirit at various points, and there's people that have the Spirit dwelling in them, and those are expressed as two different sorts of things. Remember,
1: the Old Testament it was like a temporary fulfillment to usually to accomplish a single purpose. Okay. Yeah, indwelling is more permanent and more
0: about changing you permanently. Okay. Now, even in the New Testament, did we still see that temporary? The Holy Spirit comes on somebody in power and they do something funky? Yeah, because we get that in the. the, You see it in English, you see it more clearly in the Greek. Is that people who we know have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, because they're Christians, right? And we're told that if we accept Christ as our Savior, we have Christ's Spirit dwelling in us. We're told that at that moment, temporarily filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter does. or, Or things like that. So we still have moments where you go. Even though you've got the Holy Spirit in you, there are times where the Holy Spirit inundates you, supersaturates you, overflows out of you. However you want to, you want to view that, right? Can I so have the, um, or is comparison. I mean, okay, comparison. You already have energy. Your body does stuff, but there are times where your body goes, Okay, you're gonna need a lot of energy right now. So we're we're gonna we're gonna motivate you and move you in a particular way. Sure. Now which leads me to a snarky, obnoxious, theological question, okay? Holy Spirit used to fill, lead, empower God-following Jews for centuries leading up to Pentecost, right? That's, that's the argument that, that Eric just made. So does he still do that now, even if he's not necessarily indwelling them like he does Christians? I told you, it's a snarky, obnoxious, theological question! Does the Bible say he withdrew his spirit from anybody who is not a Christian? Bless your heart. I, I was going to say, take them no, no, no passage is like, Psalm 51, where David says, okay, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me, which means that that's at least an option that's on the table of things. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there. Um, somebody, do me a favor. Read me Acts 7:51. This is a this is a nice little sticky bit that people like to point to. Acts 7:51. This is Stephen. Stephen while he's in the process of getting stoned. Ooh. You
1: stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You will always
0: resist the Holy Spirit. Okay. So is that prescriptive or is that descriptive? (coughs) Is that descriptive of the people he's talking to at that moment? Or is it prescriptive, therefore, nobody who isn't a Christian will ever have any kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit ever again? I think he's comparing
3: that they're being that way now. Mm -hmm. But he's comparing them, like it's always been like this with you guys.
0: Yeah, there's always, been, there's always been people that, even if they say, well, I, I, I'm a God-fearing person, there's always been people that he's like, yeah, you say that, but you're resisting the Holy Spirit. You're, the Holy Spirit is bouncing right off of you because you've hardened yourself to him. So is he saying, that's the way it will be from now on with these people, i.e. Jewish people, i.e. not people who have given their heart to the Lord? Or is he saying, you guys with rocks in your hands currently throwing them at somebody because he's a prophet of God, You're doing exactly what people like you have always done. I think it's pretty clearly just descriptive of those people. And I don't know of any other verse that I feel super comfortable with pointing to and saying, clearly, God no longer does what he's always done for centuries. In fact, we've said it before, one of the main ways that God seems to be making himself known to various people groups, including Muslims and 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 current Jews, is through the Holy Spirit giving them dreams, giving them connections and things. The idea that because we now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, he can't ever touch anybody else's life. I still see that in scripture, and I don't even see that in practice, which suggests that if not, or if so, what does that mean for us today? If we say, well, we have the Holy Spirit, and you might also at times. What does that suggest? How should that affect how we interact with people? Whether they be Christian or Muslim or atheist or whatever. Yeah.
1: I think we have to talk and defend the faith, but we also have to pray that the spirit be given and them because we're not going to convince them. it's going to be Christ. It's going to be the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay, so first off, and I'm going to suggest there might be a couple different, but first off, we need to sit there and go, Okay. This isn't just me trying to logic things through with them. I can actually pray that the Holy Spirit noogie them, right? And not in a... Noogie, 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 noogie. And, noogie them, and not just in, in, a, in a... Boy, I hope that they become Christians, become filled with the Holy Spirit themselves, so he indwells them, so that they can understand this. I'm like, I, can, I can pray that the Holy Spirit touches them like he'd been touching people you know, with Samson. If he could get through to Samson, possibly the densest person in the Bible... Surely you can do something with them. What else? Okay, so A, I can pray that the Holy Spirit touch their lives. B, how does this affect how I interact with people? Well,
3: the non-believing Jews are still His chosen people. So even though they're discrediting the New Testament, God would still be indwelling
0: them to, hopefully. Be careful with the use of the word. dwelling."
3: Yeah, you're right. I don't
0: know. But God could still be connecting to him with this Holy Spirit he didn't ever say that's it I know there's different theological I don't really want to get into like covenant and dispensational theologies group will go no the Jews are now Americans no I'm not even getting into all that God still cares about his people he hasn't ceased caring about his people so there's no reason to believe that he's ceased touching them with this Holy Spirit which affects I mean a it, it may not be. I may be able to look at another Christian and say, "You're my sister. You're my brother." I may not be able to do that with an unbelieving person, but I, maybe I should instead of going, "Yes, y'all, y'all, no part of me," maybe I should go, "Your cousin." You know, you may not be my brother. You may not be my sister, but it doesn't mean you're not touching God in some ways. If you're, if you're, let's say you're, you're even an unbelieving Jew, I can still sit there and go, "You're not." You're not that far from where I'm sitting. Okay, we've also emphasized that as Christians, we don't just have the Holy Spirit in us, but actually have a totally new life in Christ, right? The Spirit gives us new life with a new identity as children of God, right? I'm not just slightly repaired, slightly polished, I'm a whole new creation. So how should that affect how how we view and interact with the world around us and or each other? If if we have a new identity, I'm not just slightly shinier, Kevin. I'm I'm a completely new creation than I was before. How does that affect how I interact? It should change all our interactions to be something that we are uh, honoring. Change our hearts uh, so that our hearts are not honoring. I think it's the Well, why 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 should that change all that that way? If
3: you're not new, why would
0: anybody want to be new? Yeah. There's a gazillion self help things out there. Try one of those. Like this isn't a self help thing. This isn't uh gee, I know you've tried this and this and you tried a gazillion different no, this is the one that's worked for me. Nope. Like, nope. No, I have never tried to present Christianity that way. I moved from death to life. This isn't self help, this is I'm I'm alive where I was dead before i I'm not just improved. I'm something new. That has to affect how I interact with people. My favorite, my favorite verse is Galatians 2:20. It's no longer I who live; the Christ who lives in me, through me. It's how I, everything that I do, I need to do for His glory. I need to do in a way that that reflects Him. I'm not just Kevin. Not even just Kevin Wright. My name reflects on my dad. I'm Kevin Wright. i a Christian. My name reflects on my father, and on my older brother. So. Yeah, it should affect how I interact with one another. We've also seen that that new life, new identity, are inherently and functionally at odds with our old life and our old identity without God, right? That that moving from death to life thing. How does that play out? If I move from death to life, how would you say that specifically? I'm kind of against that a little bit, but if I was dead, and all the stuff I did there is dead, and Paul says, I think of that as... as as rubbish, even the stuff that I really, really like, even the stuff that looks really, really righteous, I say it is literally on the manure pile. Why? He says it's compost. Why? Why is even the righteous stuff, I I, I could point to and go, well, I mean, I was really good at this. Why is that still compost? I think that, I mean, the
2: allowing the spirit Spirit transforming us. Well, I wish miraculously it would happen to me in an instant, where all of my old behaviors would no longer be an issue. Um, it, we have habits. We are still inhabiting the same body, the same <coughs> body that we were inhabiting the day before we became Christian. So those neuro pathways, those habits, those those behaviors, the people around us haven't changed. I mean, all of those things that were there, and and the way that we React before out of the habitual um, regularity or whatever, are still there. And so since those things haven't changed, it's easy to fall back into
0: an old pattern. It is. But, but I think you're right in that Paul makes it pretty clear. He's like, but it's it's old patterns. It's not it's not what you are now, but you, you're, you've you stapled yourself to this old way of thinking. Um, but I, go on. I was going to
2: say, just because you've lived in such a way for so long, um. To to radically change your thinking in one day is um like it, it's unheard of, which is why I refer to it as as miraculous. People who, who come out of a cult don't don't their, their mind doesn't just their behavior, whatever, it doesn't just change overnight, you know. Right. It's it's because it's a learned behavior.
0: Well, and and if we go back to what we were talking about that. That we have a new life, and, and and that it's not just an improvement of the old life. You go know, that everything that was attached to that old life is based on on that dead person I used to be. Why did I why did I do righteous things? Why did I take care of the poor? Why did I do that kind of stuff? You go because because uh, I felt like it. Because I felt that made me a good person. I felt good about doing that. It's like okay, and that's that's why the Bible says you should take care of the poor, so that. You feel good about yourself? You know you're a good person? No. Well, why should you? Because God loves them and they're either your brother and sister or they could be. Why Why wouldn't you do this? Of course you would. We're called to. Was that the rationale that you had before? No. Your rationale was wrong. Your action was based on something that isn't as healthy. Don't just tweak it. Reform it. And that's that's the good stuff. I mean it's like oh I wouldn't I helped out at soup kitchens, good stuff. You go, yeah, my perspective was off, my rationale for that was off. I'm still doing that, even even most of the stuff I can look at, and go altruism. I'm like, was it? Nine times out of ten, it it still wasn't, it was still kind of, because then I felt like I was doing what I should be doing. Anyway, today, let's continue on, because we're talking about where the rubber hits the road with this stuff. In general, Paul, if you'll remember, as we talked through this, So I was suffering as a prisoner to be endured as the Father's will. He's like, I was here on purpose. I'm following Christ's example, right? And I got the Spirit strengthening, and I'm doing this for the sake of the church. Remember all those things we went through, like Philippians, and he talked about why he he was suffering. He's like, I'm in chains here to help you guys. I'm in chains to advance the gospel, all things being equal. I'd rather have been in Asia. But I'm not. I'm in chains here in Rome, and this is where I had originally intended to be. I'm not having fun, but I'm glad I'm here for your sake. I'm glad I'm here because I can partake in the sufferings of Christ. I'm glad I'm here because God knows what he's doing, and the Spirit is strengthening me, right? Okay. Somebody do me a favor and read Ephesians 3, 14 through 17 Hey, That means go through that first period in, in verse 17. Don't worry, we'll actually read the next part of 17 in a second. So Ephesians 3, 14, through that first sentence, that first period in 17.
2: (laughs) When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide,
0: how long, how high, how deep his love is. Keep on. Uh, just to uh, that first pair Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's alright. No. You, you're cheating a bit, but that's okay. You have a, you have a, you have a kind of slightly different version, so it might be... It's the end of New living. New living, yep. Okay. How do you see the Trinity
1: present in what he's saying? If you're looking at it, how do you see the the Trinity here? What does he say? He's bowing before the Father, power through the
0: Spirit, so that Christ
1: may dwell.
0: Okay. So even in this, I mean, again, we we sometimes read this and, and go, yeah, that's great. Stop and chew on this for a second. Even in this, he sees the trinity connected. They're not all the same thing, but they're all interconnected. How do you see that new identity and new life in the spirit that we talked about? Because we receive that strength
1: and power through
0: the spirit. Okay. I mean, how does that, that point to a, a new life or a new identity? Or anything that you said about the Trinity, how does that point to a new identity? We're, we're on all three really at the same time. Okay, absolutely. think this is a better question, poorly phrased, than I realized. Um, How does he refer to God? Bear in mind, that's not a super common way to to refer to him. I mean, we're used to it, this side of uh, of the cross. But but for the most part, most most rabbis wouldn't have referred to him as their father. We get a little bit of that in the Old Testament, but, but not much. That's kind of an unusual way to present it. So when we see him say, yeah, I kneel before the Father, and we, we go, yep, yeah, God the Father. Yeah, because I saw that little diagram, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God, uh-huh. Like, we get so used to that, bear in mind, that's kind of a novel way to look at it when he's writing this, isn't it? So, so when he says, I kneel before the Father, how does that suggest anything about our new identity? Our new life in Christ? Go ahead, Those was like, could it perhaps be related to... Uh, that we talking about uh, like, kind of like Papa, Father the sense of Dad uh, this sense of um, you know, really uh, intimacy you know, mm-hmm. this kind of of this. Now, We know from like, people like David that there were people that had a, a sense of intimacy with God, right? But in general, think Holy of Holies foot thick curtain. Was that the relationship that most people had with God? leading up to to Christ and his ministry, you go, no, in general. For Paul to say, I kneel before my dad, it's still this sense of respect and, and worship toward God, and yet this sense of immediacy toward God, right? I'm kneeling before my dad. I'm connected to him. I'm in his presence, and I'm not in his presence terrified to be in his presence. I'm in his presence, and I'm worshipful. Maybe we get this really too familiar with this, and too familiar with being familiar with God. But when Paul says this, that's that's powerful in and of itself. To say, you know, I'm being I'm being strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm I I, I have Christ as my brother, and, and I'm I'm hoping that by doing this, in part, you can have Christ in you. And I'm kneeling before my dad, and I find strength in that, and, and I'm worshiping in this that's pretty potent how do you see the ongoing indwelling of God's spirit in Christians here what does he say about the indwelling of God's spirit the Holy Spirit who does well they were strengthened through the spirit in your inner being Okay, so we know that we're talking about the strength of, of that spirit in and inner being. We also have Christ in us. His fleshly incarnation climbs into us, yes? No. His fleshly incarnation does not... No, no, no. no. <laughs> You're right! together <laughs> you know, with the whole question. No, but that's the thing. It, no, the fleshly incarnation does not crawl into us. But as Paul talks about elsewhere, he talks about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, interchangeably. Right? How does he? How can he do that? How can the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of, of God, the Spirit of Christ, be interchangeable to Paul? This actually isn't even a the theological question. It's basically just a logical. How oh. does it relate to? Well, yeah, it's a good question. That becomes a the theological part of this. We kind of already addressed that a while back when Jesus said that. But just in general, how can the Holy Spirit? Be interchangeable the Spirit of Christ or God's Spirit. Because it's the one. Yeah. And maybe we get caught up on the on the on the name Holy Spirit, as if, if that's his name on his birth certificate. Holy Spirit. And anything else. You go know, so there's there's the Father, there's the Incarnation, who's the Son, and there's God's Spirit. You know, Christ's Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, oh so there's a three. No, it's just the spirit of the divine. I mean it's it's his it's his it's his it's his, his spirit moving in us and, and through us and empowering us. I don't care whether you call him Christ's spirit living in you or God's spirit living in you or the temple of the Holy Spirit, however you want to phrase that. It's it's just God's spirit living in you. And and, and sometimes we go, oh but Sometimes he talks about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he talks about Christ Spirit. Those are two different parts. Probably not, actually. I mean, that's God's Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to get overly lost. But like I said, it's not even a theological thing. It's just a don't get don't get don't get so compartmentalized that you don't understand what he's talking about here. What's, what's the word between God and the Holy Spirit? It's, it's just it, it, okay, it's just sideways. It's the Father is not the same thing necessarily as the Holy Spirit. It's not. The same thing as the Son, and yet they are all is God. The Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Oh, okay, that's an I and S. Okay, gotcha. Yep, this is an old medieval uh, thing. Okay, (laughs) that's okay, all the notes are up online. All right, somebody, let's finish off verse 17 and go through verse 19. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to
1: comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and
0: depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay. So what is Paul saying the Spirit's empowering will do within us on an ongoing basis? We We can actually cheat and back up to verse 16. Strengthen us with power, right? So that So that Christ may dwell in us. Discuss that on a smidgey bit. So the spirit is strengthening us so that Christ may dwell in us. How does that work? Why does he say he strengthens you with power so that Christ may dwell in you? Because on our own, our our
2: bodies are not our... our, I was going to say I'm but I was going to say like our person is not... Um, is not a sort of for Christ. Okay. Um, as far as, I mean, especially like when I think of, I think of uh, you know, David saying um, you know, go, go spite all the people who have sinned against you. Wait, 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 wait! wait. Or like Isaiah saying, you That's know, perfect. like, like, you know, you have to cleanse me before you can, you know, with the coal or whatever on my tongue, whatever that, you know, the pity of Isaiah. Like, you that
0: that is like we have to be cleansed before he become suitable for God's Um, I can paraphrase a Christian author. I mean, Christ will dwell in a in a in a broken <coughs> vessel, but not a dirty one. You know, and and so the idea of strengthening us so that we can have Christness. Anybody else want to add anything to that? I, I hear that. I think. So we're kind of talking, using physical analogies to talk about a spiritual structural integrity. We have to be spiritually changed in order for the spirit to even dwell in us, the Christ spirit to even dwell in us. Anything else? Okay. Second, to empower us to be able to grasp the immensity of the love of Christ. Now, deep, White, right? To even, even be able to understand that at all. Having been rooted in that love in the first place, right? Is that what he says? Pray that the Spirit could empower us to be able to grasp all that because you've already been connected to that. So do me a favor, discuss that one. How is that the case?
2: out of the love that he has shown us and the way that he has shown us to do it we then turn do it to others so um, we can try and grasp the immensity of the love
0: of Christ because we have been shown that love Yep, uh, anybody think of any Bible verses about that? This is love not that Funny. Okay, there's that, but if this is love, not that we love God, that he loved us first, right? This is what you're getting at there. But not just that I know it, not just that I've experienced it, why this word, rooted? Well, that would um, be to be Yeah, it's more than just, you're absolutely right, it's more <laughs> than just knowing, it's it's going, I, I, I know this, I've grounded myself to it, I've sunk my roots into it, and I'm growing out of what I've already experienced in love. Not just that I, I'm, I'm doing what I've already seen or doing what I've experienced, but I'm like, no, what I'm doing is coming from that love in the first place. Not just echoing it. It's, it's another way of, I suppose in some ways, looking at that uber flute that we've talked about before, it's like, the love that God has given me overflows into all those around me. You go, oh, okay, so you're letting it overflow. No, not only that, it's his love that I'm overflowing. I mean, every Sunday you'll hear me talking about not just showing grace, but reflecting God's grace to those around us, right? That, that we're supposed to be reflecting him, his light. Not just Randy's a nice guy and he touches people with the niceness of his life. You go, no, there's going to be days Randy's not feeling all that nice. Every day he can be a mirror reflecting God's love, right? I think it goes back to what we were talking about
1: earlier
0: today where in the premise we don't have the power. Why not? I think and I think that's his key. Why not? Why why do we not have the power by ourselves naturally? That works anybody else want to jump in well, to um, our old self wasn't even connected to it we did I mean how many times does Paul or, or Jesus used that, com- that, that 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 analogy of a vine uh, 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 of, of, a, of a horticultural analogy it's like can your old life bear the fruit of a genuinely god honoring love you go it's a dead stock it's not going to bear that fruit it can't it's not connected to that vine. It can't. It doesn't have any roots into that love. It can't. Well, it can bear some fruit. I suppose some unhealthy stuff that might even look kind of fruitish, but it's not going to be the fruit of God's love because it's not attached to that.
1: Going to say. Yeah, Paul says we're dead in sin. So it's sin and we're dead. we do a whole
0: lot dead. Amazingly, uh, rock rarely produces good fruit. It just doesn't work like that. Okay about empowering us to know this love that surpasses stuff that you can know, which is an interesting phraseology there. On some levels, people tend to lump these two together going, hey, is this saying the same thing? Is he? Here I want you to be able to grasp the immensity of this, and here I want you to know stuff that you can't know. What does that mean? I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Okay. But how does it surpass knowledge, and how can you know with, if you're in Christ? It's more than just
1: knowledge. It's more than just something you can write down, right? It's more than something you sort of want it's, it's a
2: sensation. It's more
0: than... Yes. What were you going to say, Michael? Um, are those same
1: words you...
0: You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to look that up. And even if they are the same words, I don't I think they're. No can be used in different ways. And um, when I read this, I, I take the first no as like experiential
1: knowing, um, like that intimate experiential knowledge, as opposed to knowledge. I think when I think of knowledge, I just think of knowledge. Okay. Kind of like a faith, maybe, just like the like fact that you you can know
0: this, that something's gonna be there, you but you don't actually know it. That it well, go ahead. No, no. I'm, I'm gonna to try to link a few of these. What were you gonna say? So I guess when I think of that, I think of the like someone who's blind but
3: now can see. You can tell a blind person all about a um, color or the world around us. They can feel it with their hands, but
0: until they can see, they can't actually see for themselves, and I think that is, I guess my purpose, even I see them. Okay, let me link a few of these things. Um, and, and now you make me really want to go <laughs> and look this up, because I thought that they were the same, but I realized I didn't look this up in, in preparation for this. Um, but he's, he's saying, I want you to understand stuff that you can't just understand. I want you to grasp stuff that you can't just know, have knowledge. You can't just look it up in a book and go, I get this, any more than a blind person can, who's been blind since birth can pull out a book, read it in braille about what the color blue looks like, and then, you know, say, I understand it. It's like, no, you can't figure this out on your own. You can't just logic, and as a logic prof and somebody who loves history and details and knowledge, I have to wrap my head around the fact that there's some things you'll never just wrap your head around by working really hard to wrap your head around the times are just like, no, no. I'm going to have to step out in stuff that I can't just know on my own. And I'm going to have to learn stuff because I can't just study in a book. I'm going to have to come to that experience. I'm going to have to understand this. And whether you want to talk about Paul talking about things that are only going to make sense on the other side of conversion with things, I don't know. But the idea of saying, I, I want to try to understand this love in a way that goes beyond Socrates and Plato explaining to me what love is, or Aristotle giving me this great definition of love, it's like no. I need to have that experience of relationship of love in my life. And the only way I'm going to do that is by being changed structurally inside. I need to be a different person. I need to move from death to life. I need the spirit to change me. I need to be empowered to understand how this love works. So that that you may be what filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, which we talked about before. It's not saying filled to your fullness. It's filled to God's fullness, which by definition is going to overflow out of you, isn't it? It's like, you're going to be, I pray that the whole reason I need, you're going to be loving and you're going to understand this incredible love that you can't just understand on your own. You can't do it on your own because you've been rooted in that in the first place. You understand what you couldn't understand just by studying it because you've experienced it and it's overflowing out of you because you're filled to God's fullness. I think that's kind of cool. Now, the word here, this one I did look at, the word here is not the same word as filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't talking about being filled punctiliarly, the Holy Spirit. It's a word that's talking about being completed, fulfilled kind of thing, if you want to see it that way. A buddy of mine did a whole doctoral thesis on the word playa here. This this flu that continues on, It's that's, that's a completion of you, you've been brought to fullness, and you're going to stay there. This is what Paul is praying for. Not just be filled for a moment with the Holy Spirit. You no, know, that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit empowers you to understand and live out love and overflow that into everyone around you. When you look at that, do you see that theme going? That you be changed, that you've been structurally changed, you've been rooted in God's love, and you can understand this and live this out and overflow this into everybody around you. That's what I'm praying for, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in you. Is that the sort of empowerment you usually think of as coming from the Holy Spirit? empowered to love, to understand love, to do love the right way, to explode that love into other people. Is that what you normally think of as empowerment of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Which is the whole point of why we're doing this. And because you're, you're like me. I, I, I sometimes assume I already know stuff. And so when I read this stuff, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And you, Wait, isn't... All of this that he's talking about with love and understanding the depth of God's love and overflowing with the fullness of God's love, isn't he talking about you're being empowered by the Holy Spirit in this? You know, well, yeah. How have I read this and not seen it that way? Because the Holy Spirit, like, makes your head on fire and you have knowledge you don't normally have. And empowered to love. How should that affect our everyday life? If we have been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to be having him, indwelling us and filled to overflowing with the presence of God and the love of God to those around us, how should that affect our everyday life? You can't just say be more loving to people. How how do we help it? Yeah. I'll
1: just think of the the confidence that we get from it. I mean, I the verses I'm thinking of even that correlates with this is uh Second Timothy one seven, for God has not given to the spirit fear, or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind, the idea that it's it's God's working that overcomes that, that fear, that timidity, to go in confidence and love people that we wouldn't normally
0: do. Like and we think of power and sometimes sound mind, but do we think of that God's spirit giving me not a spirit of timidity, but love, to be able to do that kind of stuff? Okay, let's do it this way. I struggle with Ariel, because you guys understand why. Uh, Ariel and I have connection problems, and so I really have problems loving Ariel. So, of days I'm like, okay, I should be a nice person and try to love Ariel. Is that what Paul's talking about? Okay, now, I should go, all right, Jesus loved me, so I should love Ariel. Is that what Paul's talking about? No, because I'm still doing it in my power, right? I might be doing it for better reasons, but I'm still doing it in my strength, right? Apply this. What should I potentially do? I should avoid Ariel and go, if I just don't interact with her, I don't look at her, I don't hate her. No. So what should I do? Okay. Which is the beginning of understanding this. It just makes me
3: think back of, like, going through teenage stuff, where they honestly just don't think about it or care about other people. As we get rooted, it isn't just Ariel.
0: It's because I know, she, but we're it, talking it, about theory.
3: I know, but it's just that it, it just becomes empowering that you care. Okay, all right. Um, can I use an example? My mom had MS growing up. Because of all of the experience of those of my mom, I see people that need things. So I see that if you are struggling with the door, I will automatically go and open the door. It's not in my power. It's because God has put that for me to see. If you're in a wheelchair, I will automatically go and try to help. Yep. And I think that's what we're
0: talking about. Because you could sit there and say, okay, probably the, the, the low-level, good way of doing this, according to what Paul's talking about, is that instead of me going, alright, I'll try to be nice, or I'll try to, Jesus loved me, so I love the low-level version of this is that I go, Lord, fill me with the, with your Holy Spirit. I, in my emotions, in my relationship skills, I'm struggling here. Fill with your Holy Spirit so that I'm overflowing your Holy Spirit to Ariel. That's not just I'm muscling through this love thing, but no, I'm, I'm loving in your Holy Spirit. That is the low-level, completely appropriate application of this. What would you say I'm probably going to go to as the deeper application of this? And if you don't know, that's fine. I had time to think of this, you didn't.
3: I think it's because the deeper you get with God, the more you care about whatever issues you have with Ariel, you want her to overcome them, regardless of what it means for you.
0: Yes. But I would say here, he's not talking about filled with measure of the fullness of God toward Ariel. Right? It's overflowing with God, right? All the time. In, in everything. In how I push a broom. In how I interact with... How I, how I conflict with my wife. In how I deal with Kelvin. The irony is, the best way that I can show love to Ariel, God's love, is to not make it at all about my relationship with Ariel. The best way that I can work on my relationship with Ariel is to say, Ariel's part of the world that I'm interacting with. Brother or sister in Christ, or not brother or sister in Christ, but I'd like her to be. Either way, I just want to overflow God in all of my interactions. How would God want me to interact here? What would he want me to do? You mean toward Ariel? Sure! Or Kelvin or Wendy, or anybody. Because remember, we talked about this a couple of times now in this series. It's so easy for us to go, alright, i got to remember the thousand check marks every day. It's like, um... No, because then it's about you and your strength. Not that it's wrong to try to keep a mental list of some different things, but in general, it's one big switch, right? I want to honor God in this. How do I do that? Yeah. And
2: then you start showing more and more, like, more of the
1: gods. <laughs> you know, I mean? you start realizing, oh, damn, we're here.
0: and not so much. And the, the low-level part of that is, I probably need to remove my log so that I can see that Ariel's not necessarily the problem. The deeper thing, an application of what you're saying is, maybe I should maybe I should remove the log in my eye because it seems to be interfering with the overfluting. You mean toward Ariel? Sure. But in general, I got a log sticking out of my eye. I doubt that only deals with Ariel, right? I should just bear in mind. I'm like, I don't take the log. i and go. Ah. I've improved myself. I'm like, no! I just removed the impediment that shouldn't have been there in the first place. Whether you want to think of it as a log in your eye or you want to think about it as one big old splotch on my mirror. It's like, um, there's a reason why part of the lighthouse jobs, the lighthouse keeper's job every day is to repeatedly wipe down that mirror, right? Because if you got a dirty mirror and dirty glass, it doesn't matter how bright the light is, does it? It's not going to get out as bright. So how important is it to know in verse 20 to 21 that even then God's Spirit is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine that we could ask? This is what I'm praying for, for you guys. From the Holy Spirit who's able to do way more than anything I could even imagine that he could do. What's the last thing he just prayed that he could do? No, we can't know so that we can be filled to the measure of God's fullness. And by the way, I'm asking this to somebody who can do immeasurably more than anything I could ask or even imagine. And I just imagined being filled, overflowing with God's fullness. So, if that's the case, what's the prognosis of my relationship with Ariel? I hope so, because I could sit there and go, I oh, don't know. She's error. <laughs> or, conversely, from Donna's example, I am me and I got my own issues. It's like, but it's not even about either one of us ultimately. It's about both of us. Ideally, if she's filled to the measure of God's fullness and overfluting that, and I'm filled to the measure of God's fullness and overfluting that, and neither one of us realized that that's even, not even remotely the, the intensity of what Christ is trying to do in us. The only reason we still have a problem is that we're getting in our own way. What were you going to say? Oh, it's
3: just so I mean, I, mean I, I just, it's like, oh, it sounds so wonderful,
0: and I love it. And it's just so okay, maybe you've heard me say this before. What were you going to say? Well, if,
3: if you look back at it, in your hearts through faith. Now that's, that's, of course, our faithful Christ
0: Jesus, but it's also our measure of faith that we give him in our daily life
3: that he can. And sometimes we limit our. I don't know. No, I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Um, and sometimes we limit it in our mind. Yeah. We, we, we put barriers on what? How much faith we give
0: God to be able to do some What do we need? And you may have heard me say this before. Just because something is fairly simple, that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, right? Um, it is fairly simple. You go. How, how do you get past this pain? How do you? How do you get past? I'm. I'm afraid of of Randy. I always have been. Um, <laughs> I have issues with Ariel. Um, how, how do we get past that? You know, well, some of them seem insurmountable. Insofar as I'm working on it myself. It it may be. Uh, But I'm not just working on it myself. And so it comes back to that big switch of going, how do I honor God in this? Not, Randy's not scary. He might still be a very scary guy. Have you ever run into people in life that are, like, dangerous? Yeah. And if you go, well, I choose not to be afraid of them. Does that make them any less dangerous? No. No, I, I need to be able to see some situations as dangerous and still not live in fear of them. Which either means I need to be crazy, or I need to be able to look at things from God's perspective and just go, wait, how do I honor God here? I'm not sure I honor God by being terrified of Randy. It doesn't mean I have to sit there and go, ah, let me throw myself in the tiger cage, because they're clearly not, not, not dangerous. No, no, they might very well be dangerous. But can I have some wisdom as to how to deal with this and not be terrified? Can I get past pain? Can I get past my frustrations with somebody? Can I, by the way, I'm not afraid of Randy, or have any problems with Ariel. Do we'll um, oh. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? This is this is. I'm not saying this is easy, but it is something where you go, wait. It's more than just me. It's more than just my ability or inability to do something, because I'm not just me anymore. I'm a new creation, and I'm filled with the Spirit. Paul's been praying that I'm not spilled, but I'm filled to overflowing. And that I overflowed God's fullness all around me. If I'm, if I'm actually trying to live that out, Tuesday shouldn't just look like the Monday before I got saved, should it? it? It shouldn't. This is something that I need to progressively grow in and learn. But the Tuesday after I'm saved, I'm a different person than the Monday I was before. I've been changed. I've been moved from death to life. I, it's got to make a difference in me. And if I go, yeah, I'll work on that. (laughs) Work on removing the impediments, but you can't work on loving more, necessarily. What you can work on is nurturing what God is working in you naturally, right? Okay. If this is something that the Spirit is doing within us naturally, the natural fruit of the Holy Spirit, we talked about that last time, right? Why does Paul have to pray that this happens? Because I remember when we said last time, no, if, if, if plants just naturally bear fruit, then no farmer or orchard grower ever had to do anything, right? They've got the easiest job in the world because the plants just naturally fruit, right? No, we can totally nurture this, can't we? Give me some examples of stuff that we can nurture that we just talked about. How can you nurture any of the things we just talked about? You can't bring it about. You can't make the corn make corn. How do you help the corn make corn? Okay, get the get the process started in the first place. I think you can see that pretty naturally here. It's like how do I can we let God work in me? How do I start by going, God? Let's work on this. Okay. Uh, okay. So there are weeds that choke it, right? There are weeds that choke any kind of plant growth, right? So sometimes I need to weed out whatever's in me. I need to take the log out of my eye, whatever, whatever biblical metaphor you want to use. But I need to to remove the stuff that's impeding the natural growth of that fruit. What else? Nourishment, water. Okay, give me some example of that in, in from a spiritual standpoint. How do you nourish God's Holy Spirit growing things and fruit in you? Yeah. Okay? Attach yourself to the vine, right? That connect yourself to things that, that spiritually nourish you, whether it's opening up God's Word, engaging with this Holy Spirit in prayer, engaging with other Christians, growing. Don't know you're going to say something. Now, we need to be careful with that. Yes. And we need to be careful with that because sometimes... Quiet and centering means I get better and better input from me. Okay. It's not altogether horrible. That might not be the most helpful thing. If, if I go, I'm attaching more and more to the person I normally naturally am. I want to make sure that I'm attaching more and more to the person God is naturally trying to make me be. But yes, that's sort of listening to God and centering on God. Yeah, let's do one last thing. Read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How would you summarize Paul's urging for us in verse one? What's he urging us to do? lie well, Which means what?
1: Really, when I look at all the things we've been talking about,
0: <laughs> yeah, you've been given all this. Yeah, do that. I mean, there's sometimes where Paul, sometimes we can take Paul as being, oh, I'm not preaching, I'm building a deep theological arc and every once in a Paul's like, why would you do that? You're, you've been moved to, from death to life, yeah. Do, do that. Do that part. Why not just do that? I urge you to do this. And has strengthening you to do so. He is prepared you to do so. You need
3: to trust
0: that you're able to. Yeah. You've been trained as a farmer, yes. You've been handed all this seed, yes. You've got a field over there. Yes, it's a field. Yes. Go farm. I don't know if I can. Why not? I mean, you got the seed. You've got the time. you got the farm. Go far. Like two minutes. All right, come. How does that live itself out in verses two to three? talks about how you interact. with Okay, how so? It does. How how is he referred to this as? You're looking at what in verse three? The unity of of the Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit an active part in all this? Yeah. So he's strengthening you to do what here? At the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, what is the Holy Spirit empowering us to do? What what does the unity of the Holy Spirit look like, apparently, if we live out our calling in verse 2? We can't have the word Spirit if we don't have the active spirit. Okay. But it's unity for the body. It is. It's a unity of the body, and it's treating one another with... Isn't it? The body has a moment spirit. Yeah naturally you have your spirit right you you have your body your spirit and this is god's spirit filling the body of the church that's that's who's supposed to be connecting us that's what's supposed to be going on and he's he's empowering us to do exactly this sort of love that we we think is great but we don't automatically tend to think of as a spiritual thing and he's saying no you do this because you've been empowered to do this and I'm calling you to do this. I'm urging you to do this. You've been called to do this because you're following the unity of the Spirit. Have you ever struggled to love people, even other brothers and sisters in Christ, the way that Paul is calling us to? We don't have time. I was going to ask for people to have the guts to say, how so? I don't have time to do it. But let me ask this. We're going to end with this call to Jesus, come to Jesus moment for the day. Dun, dun, dun. Were you trying to love them in your own strength? Yeah, I, just, I just really am struggling Were you trying to love them in your own strength? Your own niceness? Or were you trying to love them through nurturing the natural fruit of the Holy Spirit? Or were you not necessarily really trying to love them that much at all? If you're struggling to love somebody the way you feel that like God has called us to love, is it that you were trying to do it in your own strength? Is it that you were genuinely saying, I want to be changed by the Holy Spirit, and I want to naturally live out the Holy Spirit? Or is it that you go, okay, I'm not even sure I was really trying that hard to actually Well, I don't care whether you're talking about. Your spouse, you're talking about uh, uh, Ariel. Yeah. <laughs> I had to end them. Randy. I would to encourage us, and we'll come back to this, so remember, Nikki. Remember what you were going to say, because let's see if we can try to bring it up next week. But I would encourage us. <laughs> Fair enough. But let's try to make sure that that what we're doing is simply nurturing what Christ is trying to work in us naturally. Pray that the Holy Spirit works in us and changes us. Flip that one switch. You might have to flip it multiple times during the day because it tends to gravity yanks it back down and off. But flip that one switch. Going, how does this honor God? How does this genuinely honor God? It's us close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to, to love well, not because we're good or we're so loving, but because you have first loved us, shown us what it's like, and then loved through us, all those around us. Help us, to, help us to make sure that we see that old life as a dead thing and this new life as a living, vibrant thing that we want to overflow into other people around us. We give this to you and pray that you be glorified. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.